So good to see all of you here this morning and to imagine. Close your eyes, everyone, and imagine all the great people that are connecting in from home this morning. And we're praying that everyone here in person or uh, online is just sensing uh, the solemnness of this day and the coming joy as we do get to think about Easter Sunday. And it's like that old preacher that talked about, uh, you know, the, the reality and the, and the, 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 uh, the pain of, of Good Friday, but he would just say, but Sunday's coming. I like that. Let's open our hearts to this Good Friday message. And for some of you, you have heard this so many times, and you know what it's like. I know what it's like when we know something well, for those of us that do, it can just kind of fly over without really touching our heart again. And so I encourage you to choose to truly uh, bend your heart toward this amazing message today. Not because I'm preaching it, but the, the gospel message, right? For some of you, this is, this is brand new stuff. Maybe some of you here in person or, or connecting online, you're, you're exploring. And, and to you, I say, way to go. Way to go for the courage to seek and to ask questions about you know, trying to, trying to figure out and connect the dots on this, this Christian message, this gospel message. And gospel just simply means good news. And so I invite you to open your heart, ask you to choose to open your heart to this message this morning, no matter where you are at. Jesus, seven statements from the cross. And again, some of you in this room, a couple of guys I'm looking at right now, my dad and Miriam's dad, who have preached this. More times probably than I've heard it. So, uh, but, but a rich message that I know for them and others never grows old. Father, open your word to our heart and our heart to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. In the historically accurate gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we see false charges and a mock trial against Jesus, as Pastor Crystal just alluded to. Jesus never did anything wrong, but they were, they were, they were after him. We know that. John 19 begins with Pilate having uh, Jesus scourged is the word. Now, that's a strange word. We don't use that word. It was actually uh, a reference to a brutal whipping that they would do as part of the crucifixion process, where metal, little... Uh, Maybe not so little, I'm not sure. Metal pieces were attached to each of the nine ends of a cat of, what was called a cat of nine tails whip. And, and it would literally rake the back of the individual raw. And Jesus suffered that for us. As a matter of fact, they tell us that some even died from that before making it to the cross. They also fastened a crown of thorns, the Bible says, onto his head, and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, in a mocking way. It wasn't a nice little crown that they kind of set gently upon his head. No, these thorns were solid and long and pointy. I've, I've been to Africa, and I, I was standing up at the back of a Jeep on a safari, look, actually looking backwards, and I happened to turn around in the branch with these, these probably similar thorns, Whoa, Trent Lipinski and I, uh, one of our global workers in the DR, were in that Jeep. We just, 
I couldn't imagine being hit with those because they, they're, they're salt. They're so pointy and, 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 uh, and, and firm and strong themselves. And that crown of thorns was, was, was pushed firmly onto the head of Jesus, roughly onto the head of Jesus. And so those, those thorns all around his head would have punctured his skin. Then in John 19, 15, we see the religious leaders and angry crowd crying out, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate ends up giving in to their demands on verse, uh, and in verse 16 says they, they, they took Jesus and they led him away. Verse 17 and 18 of that same chapter, he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull. In, in other words, death happened there regularly. And the Bible says, which in Hebrew is Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side. I want you to listen to 1 Peter 3, 18 that says it clearly. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. And there it is, Sunday's coming. And the resurrection assures us of what Jesus' death on the cross accomplishes, namely that, his, that, that sins Sin's penalty is fully paid and will be applied to us if we trust fully in him and his work on the cross. So in the gospel accounts, there are seven statements of Jesus that he made while he was on the cross. But just imagine, I want you to put yourself there at the foot of the cross as a disciple. Uh, the disciples were there and they were, they were witnessing this torture and crucifixion of their master and their friend. There, there must have been confusion. There certainly was sorrow and, and maybe even fear. You know, maybe wondering, well, am I next? Put yourself there. Certainly those around the cross, others heard these statements of Jesus as well. A Danish philosopher and theologian in the 1800s, Soren Kierkegaard, said, life is lived forward and understood backward. And, and that applies here. As we have the benefit to look at these historical events of the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection and, and these historically recorded statements from, we, we get to view it from this vantage point. As a matter of fact, we, we even see that the first disciples gained clarity on these things, on the things that Jesus had said to them while he was walking with them. As we move along through the New Testament, we see that Clarity coming. And I mean, even in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, 36, shortly after Jesus, his time, his work on earth was done, and he supernaturally ascended back to the Father. In Acts 2, 36, Peter's preaching a sermon a few short weeks after the resurrection, and, and he's reminding everyone that's hearing out in the street, this Jesus whom they crucified is both Lord and Christ. Christ, meaning the anointed one, the, the Messiah, the sent one to bring us salvation. So, it's a little bit of context there. Let's, let's look at these seven statements of Jesus from, from the historically reliable records of Jesus' life called the Gospels. And gospel just means good news. And it is good news. Statement number one, Luke 23. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The people killing Jesus did not fully comprehend what they were doing because they didn't recognize him as the Messiah. They thought he was just another lunatic claiming to be God. Well, Romans, or the, the Jews convinced the Romans to, to kill him by their most brutal way of death because, according to their law, claiming to be God was blasphemy. 
and worthy of death according to the Old Testament law. And Jesus' willingness to forgive even when his abusers were not asking to be forgiven for their brutal and unjust treatment of him is just, it's just amazing. It's mind-boggling. They, they mocked and tortured him brutally, and yet the expression from Jesus shows his limitless grace that he freely offers to all and still does today. And many of us are recipients. We've chosen to be recipients of that grace. And then from the cross that he's dying on for the forgiveness of the whole world, he offers that same forgiveness in the moment of his pain to the very people that put him on the cross with no hint of resentment or bitterness in the midst of all that they are unjustly doing to him. Only God's love, only his offer of forgiveness comes back to those who brutally abuse him. Wow. Makes me think, my own life, Christ followers, I ask you, how, how do we do at modeling the characteristic of, of forgiveness, this, this characteristic that Jesus displayed? Do, do we forgive freely or do we hold on to every hurt and allow it to poison our spirit and, and, and our relationships? I would just encourage all of us to reflect on that. This Easter, may we see the, the, the forgiveness that Jesus gave so generously as our own inspiration to be people marked by Christ-like, the Christ-like quality of forgiveness and forgiving freely those who hurt us or wrong us. Statement number two, Luke 23. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes. A few verses earlier in Luke 23, 39, we see one of the criminals, and, and so many of you, you know this story, mocking Jesus, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Come on, show yourself, you know, save yourself and us. Mocking, questioning in, in a way that is, well, inappropriate. But, but the other criminal obviously had a change of heart. He recognized his sinful condition as well as the character of Jesus. He recognized when he said in verse 1, we are punished justly. And he's, I can imagine him trying to lean over and look at, the, look at his buddy over on the other cross. We're, we're being rightly convicted here. And he, maybe this other guy was his partner in crime. And I don't know, they may have robbed the donkey Brinks caravan or something. And there they are on the cross. And one is, one is hurling insults at Jesus and the other sees Jesus for who he is. He turns to Jesus and said, Lord, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Almost sounds like he had maybe heard Jesus teaching in days, previous days. And Jesus says, assuredly or absolutely, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, in my eternal heaven. It's a done deal. No doubt required. Assurance of salvation right there. What an awesome thing. That's the grace of God. And, and of course, Jesus, being God, knew the posture of that man's heart in that moment. Some, something else we shouldn't miss here is a reminder of the fact that in the very last moment of life, a person can turn to Jesus and be eternally saved, maybe even unbeknown to us, because, of, because God hears the, the whisper of the inner spirit of a person 
Maybe that's encouragement for some of you who've lost loved ones and you're not sure where they were at with God. My friends, the Bible makes it clear there's an eternal heaven and there is an eternal hell. And Jesus longs for you to turn to him like the criminal on the cross did and surrender your life and eternity to him. Jesus wants you with him forever when your time in this world is done. Statement number three, John 19. Whom Jesus, or sorry, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The disciple whom Jesus loved, this phrase we see in, in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels, is a reference to John, the disciple John. Now, Jesus obviously loved all of his disciples, but there, there seemed to be uh, a, a special relationship between Jesus and, and, and John. And so as Jesus is on the cross uh, suffering and agonizing in the physical and emotional torment of the cross, he, he still shows care for his earthly mom in, in, in pointing out that, that John will be there for her. And to, and to John, he says, friend, here's your mom. Here's your mother. I'm asking you to take care of her for for the rest of her life, is what Jesus was saying. It's a testimony right there, really, a testimony of of the character of Jesus as an earthly son, honoring his mother, that in the midst of his incredible suffering, he makes sure his, his earthly mom is cared for when he's gone. It's cool. Statement number four, Matthew 27 tells us about 3 p.m. in the afternoon of the crucifixion, Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was expressing his honest feelings of abandonment as God the Father placed the sin of the world on him. And the Father had to turn away in that moment when Jesus became sin for the world for you and I. The only time in all of of eternity, past and future, that this happened or will happen between God the Father and God the Son. And and we cannot begin to imagine the torment of that moment of darkness. And, And literally, but more than literally, between the Father and the Son. And because of this turning away, the Father not being able to bear looking at his Son taking the sin of the world upon himself, literal physical darkness fell over the land at the brightest part of the day, noon to 3 p.m. Matthew 27, 45 says, uh, obviously a, a, a supernatural act of God while, while, again, while Jesus was bearing the sin of the world upon himself at 3 p.m., Jesus finally cries out after what appears to be about three hours of darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Honest question. And yet he knew. This expression had been written back in Psalm 22, verse 1, as a prophecy about this specific moment in history when Jesus would be forsaken so we could be found and adopted. Jesus, willing to be completely forsaken by his own Father so you and I could be adopted and welcomed eternally into the Father's family. Wow. That just needs to 
lead us to say thank you. And it does. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Statement number five, John 19, 28. Knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. In this statement, Jesus was, again, fulfilling the messianic prophecy uh, from Psalms. Psalms 69, 21. They gave me vinegar for my thirst. Oh, can you imagine? Kids in the house, you ever drank vinegar? You ever seen a little something? You, know, you shouldn't do this, but maybe, maybe your mom played a trick on you or something. Vinegar to quench thirst? No. Well, by saying that he was thirsty, the Roman guard was prompted to give him this the drink, thus fulfilling this prophecy from Psalm 69, verse, verse 29 of John 19. A, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and they, and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. He thirsted, so we would never thirst. He thirsted, so we would never thirst. I'm, I'm sure his thirst was not quenched with vinegar, but Jesus, Jesus satisfies spiritual thirst completely, just like he spoke when he was talking with the story in, um, in John 4 with the, with the Samaritan woman, and they were at the well where she came to draw water. And he said in John 4, he, he said, whoever drinks of this water, pointing to the physical well, will thirst again, right? We know that. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Quenching. Satisfying. A thirst for meaning in life. For purpose. For peace. For assurance of salvation. Statement number six. John 19. It is finished. We sang it this morning. Now, this phrase could refer to the work that Jesus came to do of teaching uh, good news of his kingdom and bringing hope through his life and death that was now completed. It could refer to his physical suffering now being uh, finished. Crucifixion was the most brutal way to die, hanging from spikes that were put in the wrists and, and in the ankles and, and, and the full weight of your body on those four pressure points. Three, actually. Maybe three, four, I'm not sure. Probably different in different times. Making it, making it hard to breathe. Every time a breath was needed, all pressure on those, on those spikes to lift up and, and, and get a, a, a lung full of air until they could no longer do so. They just didn't have the strength to do so anymore. And the, they, they say that it was a slow asphyxiation if they hadn't died already. It is finished. Interesting that the original Greek word for this phrase in English was a word stamped on receipts to indicate a complete purchase. Payment fully made. Cool. So these words, it is finished, primarily mean that the debt of sin was now our debt, mine, yours, the debt of sin we owed that we could never pay on our own. Stamped by God the Father. Accepted. It is finished. Accepted. Payment 
accepted. So that never again, no, no payment of any kind, no longer necessary, no, no payment ever again of any kind needed to be made, needs to be made for us to be brought into the eternal family of God. The wrath of God for sin and his justice are now fully satisfied. And I come into God's family under that covering. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And to be sin for us just means that he, he took the penalty, the just penalty for sin upon himself so we could live free and eternal, eternally with him. Statement number seven, Luke 23. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. In his last statement, he called God his Father. Father. 